0: Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRER. I'm Bobby Howe. I'm Alex Scaring, And Bobby, today is a special episode. I know. I am so excited. So last week was the residential forecast event where Dr. Lawrence Yoon gave us some predictions for the economy and the housing market over the next 12 to 14 months. And if you weren't able to make it to the event... Don't worry about it. It's okay. You should come to the next thing in person. Right. But we're going to give you a pass this time. Just this one time, though. Just this one time, because we have it for you right now. Here we go. Here is Dr. Lawrence Yoon, Chief Economist and Senior Vice President of Research for the National Association of Realtors at KCRER's Residential Forecast event. Enjoy. Uh, thank, thank you for the introduction, uh, I just flew in from Washington DC uh, to here, a uh, little bumpy ride, I guess the weather uh, pattern is coming in, uh, and also the coldest day uh, of at least this autumn cycle that I experienced, uh, good thing that I brought a coat. Uh, but sometimes it's uh, good to be out of Washington, come to the middle parts of the country, uh, because sometimes people in Washington they're only doing the Washington inside the beltway discussion and not really understanding what the real people out in the middle of the country is thinking, or you know, they need to do their business to get their uh, normal uh, working day completed. Uh, so good to get a reality check uh, coming here into the Kansas City. Um, in a few minutes, I believe the Federal Reserve will come out with their decision on the interest rate policy. Likely, near, almost near certain, it will be a quarter rate point cut in the interest rate. Uh, but the, what the Federal Reserve control is not what impacts you directly. Uh, they control something called Fed Funds Rate. That is the borrowing rate a bank borrows from each other uh, for their cash flow situation. But generally, uh, it can indirectly impact. But I think the biggest impact occurred around this time last year. Mortgage rates were actually shooting higher. It was approaching close to 4.7%. And the buyers suddenly began to pull back as the mortgage rates were increasing. And then by the new year, uh, early part of 2019, the Fed, did not change any policy, but they just indicated change in communication, which was to say that they will not be raising interest rates anymore, and possibly sometime in 2019, they could cut interest rates. So just in the change in the communication led to the mortgage rate going from 4.7% to 3.7%. So I think what is more critical today in the few minutes when the Federal Reserve comes out with their decision is not about the quarter point rate cut, uh, but what their communication is and how the bond market reacts to that communication. Uh, But let me go over uh, the economy, uh, where it has been, uh, where it is likely to go, uh, especially in light of the fact that the word recession is appearing more frequently now than before. Uh, Whether it is a possibility of a recession, are we going into a recession? today, number on the overall economic activity uh, show that it is still moving positively. Uh, In fact, uh, in the US, we are in the midst of the longest economic expansion ever. So one goes into the measurement Of All the economic output income generation and you look at uh, the Expansionary period and sometimes economy expanded for five years before fizzling out And when I said fizzling out going into a recession and people losing jobs Sometimes expansion was seven years, but right now we are in the 11th year of economic expansion So it's the longest economic expansion ever furthermore The economy grew solidly in 2018. Now we are almost completing year 2019, but in 2018 uh, it grew 2.9% or close to 3%. We were fortunate, we meaning NAR was fortunate to have President Trump come and speak to the realtor audience in Washington, D.C. when we had our mid-year conference. About 8,000 realtors from across the country uh, coming for uh, to speak with their members of Congress. We have NAR meetings committee functions and all that activity of uh, which we do uh, And we always invite the sitting president to come and address the realtor audience and President Trump came and he said he's a real estate person and he spoke uh, However, you uh, view President uh, Trump regarding his politics anyone who listened to president Live, uh, he is an entertainer. I mean, uh, he, can, he can speak very well in front of a camera, in front of a live audience. So he was saying that the economy is rolling along, the economy is doing great. Because when he was Donald Trump presidential candidate, he promised if I become the president, I'm going to do many things. I'm going to build a wall, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to bring the GDP or the economy up to 3% growth. So 2.9% in 2018 is very, very close to that point, uh, you know, essentially a decimal point up. So one can say that at least in regards to that, president appears to be fulfilling their promise. Now, if I talk with an economist audience, they will say, well, economy is determined by so many factors, president gets too much credit or president gets too much of the blame, but irrespective, it was 2.9%. 2019 will not be that strong, but it is still expanding which means that we are still moving forward. So if you visualize driving on a highway rather than going at 60 miles per hour, now we are going at 40 miles per hour. We are still moving ahead. We are not reversing, we are not going backwards. Recession would be when you are going backwards, people are losing jobs. So that would be a recession, but we are not at that stage. Even though there is more and more talk of recession, impending recession uh, in the press. So let's see the likelihood of recession, and if there is a recession, whether it would be a shallow one, or which sector of the economy would probably pull us into a recession. First, related to the consumers. You will hear something about consumer confidence index rising or declining, little movement here or there, but if you look at this chart, we are essentially at an all-time high in consumer confidence. So even if you see at the media to say consumer confidence decline a bit, it's declining from a very, very high point where essentially an all-time high. So how do you get consumer confidence? It's a survey by this organization in New York, which they have been regularly conducting. They ask questions about how are your finances? How are your wages? Uh, What about your retirement funds? Uh, If you were to lose job, how difficult would it be to find a new one? All those type of questions, and they have an index, and consumers are saying, I feel pretty comfortable about the economy and the financial situation today. So this is on average. And the reason why the consumers are confident is that we are creating jobs, jobs, jobs. The red arrow down is the foreclosure crisis of 10 years ago. Bad mistake, subprime lending, you had a heartbeat, you had a mortgage. They didn't even check your income requirement and we suffered through that foreclosure crisis. Ever since the low point, we have been creating jobs, creating jobs, and again, the longest economic expansion ever, from 2010 all the way onwards, uh, 21 million job creation in the country. So this is why the consumers are feeling confident about the economy constant job creation. Unemployment rate, 3.7%. This is na- national figure. Kansas City, I believe, is lower than this. In fact, it may be 2.9%. Uh, you know, One has to go- just go ahead and Google it and look it up. Uh, but uh, unemployment rate at 3.7% nationwide, this is quite an achievement. When I took Econ 101 class for the very first time, as an undergraduate student, he's saying in a free society, you will never have 0% unemployment because you have freedom, freedom to quit your job, freedom to look for better ones, and also the companies, employers, have a freedom to fire incompetent workers. So you will never have a 0% unemployment rate. So what would be a good, nice, unemployment rate in a free society? And the textbook said 5 or 6% would be a good unemployment rate. Today, as you can see, it is well under that level. In fact, there are more job openings. Help Wanted, Inquire Within, or you go to LinkedIn or Indeed, sort of job database sites, they're saying we are hiring. You talk to the home builders, they will say if we only had more construction workers, so there are more job openings in America than people who are unemployed and looking for a job. Very unusual situation. Very low unemployment rate, consumer confidence remaining very high. Here's the job situation specifically related to the Kansas City metro market. I always have problem when I have an intern come work for the summer in our office. And they said, uh, you know, look up all the metro market, look at the job situation. They can never find Kansas City. <laughs> and the reasoning is they're always looking at the state of Kansas and they're looking for metro, is <laughs> under Missouri. I don't know why uh, it, the census defines Kansas City metro market as under Missouri, but that's how you have to find it. Uh, but Kansas City, right in the middle of the country, and in fact, uh, Kansas... And Arkansas is pretty much, Missouri is pretty much right at the population center of the country. So if you equal weight, you know, people living in New York, people living in Arizona, Florida, where's the equilibrium point uh, is right near uh, Missouri, Kansas, borderline, and little almost touching Arkansas. So, you know, you are right essentially at the uh, middle of the country. And the job growth in Kansas City is pretty much following the national trend. So if the national economy goes into a recession, at least past experience is implying that Kansas City will probably follow that. If the national economy expands, then Kansas City will probably follow that path. So one can see that steady job creation. And just to illustrate some numbers, this low point, again, subprime crisis mass, was 950,000 people with jobs in Kansas City Metro. Today, uh, it is 1.1 million, surpassing that. So almost close to 200,000 additional job creation here in the metro market. How large is that? Well, Kansas City Arrowhead uh, Stadium. You say, how many people are held there? You know, and, and then it's probably three or four times the size of the stadium. So you add that many people into the city, and you can see as to why the housing demand or people's confidence is rising because of the steady job creation that's occurring in the local market. It's not only job creation, but people's earnings are also rising. So people used to make, this is from year 2007, $800 per week on average. And it was sort of flatline for many years. And now it's beginning to kick higher. And now people on average are making about $1,000 per week. So it's job creation. And now, along with it, higher weekly earnings. Consumers are confident. What about businesses? Well, you look at the business profit situation, and here, specifically, I put after-tax corporate profits because there was a large cut to the corporate tax rate a few years ago. President Trump said American companies need to be more competitive with other companies based abroad, so we will lower the corporation tax rates. When this discussion was taking place, Uh, one other thing nar was saying was we met with the treasury department because thank you by the way people who contribute to rpac Uh, if you don't know what an rpac is is a realtor political action committee Uh, so we um, people invest money uh, nar consolidates that money Uh, many most of the money actually stays here within kansas and missouri so you use that money to elect local politicians but Portion of it go to NAR, and we want to assure that we have an easy communication with policymakers in Washington. Now, some people say money should stay out of politics, and you know everyone has their opinion to it. Uh, I think the best uh, way to think about the messiness of the politics and money is uh, what Winston Churchill said. By the way, there's a statue of Winston Churchill if you just walk down the river here, and I'm not sure what that relationship with Winston Churchill in Kansas City, but uh, he, he's there. So uh, Winston Churchill remarked uh, that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all others. So what he's implying is anarchy is terrible compared to democracy. Tyranny is terrible, dictatorship is terrible, monarchy. So democracy is not perfect. So there's a lot of messiness in it. But nonetheless, it is the best available alternative compared to others, and the way the money works is that you ask any person running for office, they will say they need the money to run for office. Without the money, uh, their campaign stops right away. So we are expressing, realtors are expressing their free speech by contributing to RPAC to assure that realtor policies are represented. Going back to this, when the corporation tax rate cut was being discussed, NAR met with the Treasury Department, member, met with the members of Congress and others to say, what about tax break for small business owners like realtors and realtor brokerages? So some of you, or in fact it should be most of you, who file your April 15 income tax return, you would have noticed you have your revenue, the cost, and you have your net. From the net income, you face the tax rate. That's how it used to be but this year you should have gotten your net and you get to deduct additional 20% off that net so that, so that small business owners also get a tax break and not corporations. So you know that's one of the benefits that we try to push through so that uh, the RPAC uh, money gets well represented in the Washington communication. So corporation tax profit is very high especially in light of the fact that we have a strong economy and the corporate tax rate is lower. However, companies are not spending that cash. This is business spending for machinery, software, factories. How is it growing? So this is the growth rate. And you can see that generally it's positive because we're in the longest economic expansion ever. So they are spending more. But not aggressively, especially the second quarter is much softer. And the new data came out today, this morning, which is not included here, and is actually negative. They actually spent less than before. So companies are flush with cash, yet they are unwilling to spend. Why could this be? Well, you can just read the statement when the corporations released their earnings. They released their earnings and said, okay, we had a good profit. However, we are a little hesitant about investing in new factories because of trade war uncertainty. They pretty much say the same thing. They are saying they're concerned about the trade war or the trade war could lead to economic slowdown or even economic recession, so they're holding back. So nearly every company, as they're coming out with their earnings, are saying their profits are fine, but they're not spending as much because of uncertainty. Even the iconic American brand, Harley-Davidson motorcycle, John Deere tractors, says the same thing. Because of the trade friction, trade uncertainty, uh, they are being very, very cautious uh, from it. Here is a report from our commercial realtor members. We take survey of commercial realtor members who specialize in commercial and ask, how is your leasing activity playing out. And they were saying that it was rising, rising, but again, again, you can see that growth rate has drastically slowed, pretty much matching with the business investment situation. Here's a chart on the U.S. import and export, the trade uncertainty. So the import is blue, so it's in uh, the export, U.S. exports to foreign country is red. So it's always the case, or nearly always the case, import exceeds the uh, exports. So we have a trade deficit. Is this trade deficit that infuriates President Trump to say, why are we in a deficit? We should be in a surplus. Surplus sounds better than the deficit. Well, we should be doing better than this. So maybe the foreign countries are cheating. Or perhaps if we just put a tariffs and prevent Uh, the foreign products from coming up to the US, then maybe we can reduce the imports. So it is President Trump's trade policy that could be leading to trade war uncertainty and the business are holding back some of their spending uh, patterns. Now again, I illustrated that companies are flush with cash, but they're unwilling to spend, and they're publicly stating the reason why they're unwilling to spend. When you look at the stock market, is close to an all-time high. But over the past few months, there was a little nervous points. When the stock market made a big decline, you said, what the heck is going on? And you see the statement that says that President Trump wants to start a trade war with China. Business communities are not liking that statement. Then sometimes you see the stock market recover strongly, and you say, what the heck is going on there? And there's an indication that President Trump wants to make a trade agreement with China. So anytime you see the stock market volatility, it's either trade war, which crashes the stock market, or trade agreement, which the stock market recovers. You look at the trade policy specifically related to the second largest economy in the world, which is China. And they're without a doubt cheating. They're not respecting our copyrights, trying to steal technology or to say that you have to show us all your business secret before we allow you to sell soap, you know, Procter & Gamble. They sell soaps around the world, but if Procter & Gamble wants to come to China, you have to show us how you make soap. So China is demanding something that other countries are not demanding. Uh, In fact, you would say that's like cheating, you know, business uh, spying uh, activity. So we have to correct to assure that we are playing fair game to the degree that President Trump is trying to introduce rule of law into China, rather than rule of dictator or trying to steal technology, I would say it would be highly beneficial for China in the long run. All the countries that respect the rule of law grow over the long run. Certainly good for us if China was to respect uh, copyrights and stop stealing our technology. So if this harsh talk coming from the White House is really to open up China, or hard trade negotiating tactic, then maybe once we get a trade agreement, we really have a a business spending come back around and be solid and contribute to the economy. But if it is the case that President Trump's instinct is to say put a tariff, put a tariff, and China reciprocates by putting tariffs and tariffs, and we have a trade war, uh, then, without a doubt, uh, the economies of the world will begin to sink. China will probably go into a terrible situation. Mexico will be devastated. Germany is probably already going into a mild recession because they are no longer selling their machinery to China because you know China uh, is c- concerned about this trade war, uh, and this circle items when import and export fell. This is a time when the US economy were losing jobs. When we are losing jobs, both trade activity declines. So we have to see how everything about the trade uh, policy plays out. If it's a straight trade war, tariff against tariff against more tariffs, then the economy of the world could sink. But if it's a trade agreement, especially stop stopping China from cheating and I think it would be a win-win situation for both US uh, and China so let's see how uh, things play out in the meantime Federal Reserve policy is this so this is from year 2000 how many of you were in business in real estate in year 2000 less than half and i do not in generally uh, you know about one-third of the audience never raised their hands so, so, <laughs> um, So uh, many of you have entered a business in the recent five years or ten years, but not all the way to the year 2000. But back in the year 2000, mortgage rates were about 8%. I know that because that's when I bought a home. (laughs) Um, So 8% was considered very, very normal condition, but then you had this little uh, swings in interest rate. And through this policy, we had mortgage rate hitting essentially an all-time low, about 3.5%. Then it also fluctuated a little, even as the Fed really did not change their policy. And then when they started to raise interest rates, this is when by December of last year, mortgage rate hit 4.7%. Then once they changed the communication, then it declined from 47 to 3.7%. And that's a big deal for many of your consumers, mortgage rate going from 4.7% to, to 37 So FED today is probably cutting another rate, another round of rate cut, Um, uh, but now they will communicate as to whether or not they will continue to do so or this is the stopping point. And most likely all the FED statement, their final sentence in the FED communication is always the same. They will look at the incoming economic data and from that they will determine what the future policy will be. Uh, but still you have to read between the lines to see whether they are trying to be a little open to uh, monetary stimulus or they want to be restraining but right now the Fed policy is they have stopped raising interest rates and they're now in a cutting mode and whether or not we are at the end of the cutting mode and stabilizing in the meantime mortgage rates are moving this way so blue is the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage red is a 10-year Treasury bond yield. Mortgage rate directly follows 10-year Treasury yield, not the Fed funds rate, not the monetary policy the Federal Reserve does. And then you hear the huge news, in the evening news, you will hear about what the Fed has done. But the mortgage rate do not necessarily follow what the Federal Reserve does, but it follows 10-year Treasury. Why the 10-year Treasury? Well, 10-year treasury is the most safe investment to earn interest because it's government, they will pay, uh, and so that's the base level. So why is the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage related to 10-year treasury? Because when people take out a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, they don't keep it for 30 years. People get it, but after seven years, after 10 years, after 12 years, they decide to move. And on average, 30 year fixed rate mortgage never lasts 30 years. It only lasts about 10 years. So the mortgage lenders know this, and hence they priced it off the most safest interest rate, and they just bump it up by a certain amount. So if you want to to know what the mortgage rate will be tomorrow, you look at the 10 year treasury yield. If it's rising, mortgage rate will be a little bit higher. If the 10-year treasury is falling, then the mortgage rate will be a little lower. And here's the, uh, you see that little spread. So it looks like it's following one-to-one step. But if you look at the difference, uh, this is the difference. This is the financial crisis uh, when, 10 years ago, uh, when the Wall Street was crashing. So it was special time. But you exclude that point and the spread between 10-year Treasury and the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is a little on the higher end. And the lenders are actually indicating today they have so many refinances that they can actually charge a little higher and still get plenty of demand. But we expect this thing to go back down a bit, which means that today's mortgage rate of 3.7%, once the refinance thing is out of the way, uh, it could actually go down to 3.5% uh, in terms of mortgage rates, but, w- but we have to see how it goes But right now uh, the spread between the two interest rates are at the little upper end Also the uh, different type of spread This is the mortgage rate depending upon the length of the term 30 years 15 years or five year adjustable rate mortgage Ten years ago, subprime lending, many people took very short-term adjustable rate mortgages, and when the interest rate changes, their monthly mortgage payment shot up. Some people just cannot pay, and that led to the crisis. But if you look at the current situation, 90% of the consumers are taking the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. They want to feel comfortable, their monthly payment will never change for the 30 years even though they will most likely stay only for 10 years, uh, but this is what they are taking. Some people are taking 15-year uh, rate, and it is lower, so there could be some opportunity there for people who can come up with larger down payment or people who can make those larger monthly payment. 15-year lower interest rate. Five-year adjustable rate mortgage today in the current environment, uh, it should be something... Uh, that is not utilized because it just doesn't make sense why they should be paying essentially very little difference while you are being exposed to the adjustable rate mortgage change after five years. But right now most consumers, 90% of the consumers are utilizing 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Because interest rate environment is much better today or Uh, this year compared to last year, uh, we are seeing mortgage purchase application being higher. People who are applying for mortgages to buy a home. This is not refinanced, but people want to buy a home uh, and apply. Not all of the application is an approval. Some are rejected, they have to retry, they have to maybe uh, be more realistic about their budget and scale down the amount they need to borrow. Uh, But nonetheless, this is showing that consumers are interested in coming into the market. So mortgage purchase application being higher compared to one year ago. Even though mortgage purchase applications are higher, home sales are not yet breaking higher. It's almost about the same as one year ago, ago. So this is from year 2016 to 2019, so past Uh, three years or almost four years. So again, you can visualize, you know, how many years have you been in the business, but for the past three years, four years, home sales overall has not really trended higher even though economy has an all-time high in terms of jobs, all-time high in terms of wages, all-time high in the stock market, yet it is not breaking higher. So why is the home sales not working hard? People are applying for more mortgages, but some people, even if they get a mortgage approval, they don't close the deal because they just simply cannot find a home. We are in an inventory shortage situation. There's an interest of people to enter the housing market, mortgage purchase application is clearly implying that, Uh, yet people are saying that they cannot find that home, inventory is lacking, and therefore, home sales are not rising to the degree that the consumers are expressing their preference about the housing market. We take a variety of survey of realtors, consumers to better assess the market condition. Uh, you should uh, visit NAR research for uh, just variety of information that my colleagues uh, work on. Uh, But this is one of the uh, things uh, that uh, we, uh, one of the small parts that we study on many aspects. Uh, What was the status of the recent home buyer? And we are finding that the bulk is either they were previously homeowners and now they are trading up or trading down, or they were renters. And then there are a few who are in a special living arrangement, whether they were living with parents or living in a dormitory, uh, but most of them Uh, are either renters or homeowners. So if you specialize only with homeowners, then you are missing a sizable portion, the renter population. But if you're only working with the rental population to convert them into homeowners, then you are also missing out on some homeowners uh, who may be interested in looking for different homes. First time buyer transactions looks like this. Currently it's about 30% of all buyers are first time buyers. And this part here is just worth uh, also to show the uh, impact of the RPAC money is that during the financial crisis, we were going into a recession. Many people were losing jobs. And one of the things uh, that uh, we, uh, NAR, uh, lobby in Congress and Congress agreed and the White House agreed uh, at that time uh, was to say that we need some kind of stimulus, special stimulus to get the buyers back into the market. If people are losing jobs, even low interest rate may not do the trick. There has to be other incentives to get the people into the market. And for people who were in the business back in 2009, 2010, there was something called home buyer tax uh, credit. You buy a home and you get $7,500 or $8,000. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, So that was, in essence, to stop the bleeding in the housing, stop the bleeding in the economy. Uh, And again, thank you for people who contribute to our PAC. We want to assure that housing market, I know it goes through a cycle, but it's to be more manageable cycle uh, than uh, in other cases. But right now, the first-time buyer situation is that uh, about one-third of the total buyers are uh, first-time buyers. A uh, good thing about working with the first-time buyers is the following. They tend to be younger, and if they are younger, they buy their home, and they are much more likely to move within the next five or seven years. Why? They have additional child in the family or two, child, two children in the family. They need a larger home. Elementary school was fine, but for middle school, they're beginning to consider different options. Oh, well, so generally, it's the younger home buyers, first-time buyers, who buy, and they could become your repeat clients. While the older uh, uh, home buyers, once they purchase, say at the age of 50, is probably their final home. So there's not a repeat business opportunity, other than the referral that you serve, provided a good service, and they will provide that referral for future businesses. Um, I talked with Kip. Cooper, uh, the uh, CEO of the Kansas City Realtors, about the membership numbers, and he is indicating that the membership numbers are still rising in the Kansas City metro area. And it is the case also nationwide. Uh, We may hit an all-time high in terms of membership. We have no control over this. It's people who just want to enter the business. We cannot prevent people from entering the business. So it's a very fiercely competitive marketplace out there. Uh, because so many people ch- uh, with a unique business model trying out different things. But one consistent result that we find from recent consumers of home buyers or home sellers is that if you ask the question, generic question, what do you think about a re- uh, realtors helping you out on your business? It's just very generic. And they give certain remark, you know, certain percent point or approval points or satisfaction points. But if you ask a very specific question, in your recent transaction, the Realtor that you worked with, would you recommend this specific Realtor to your friend, colleagues, or uh, uh, family members? And nearly 80%, 90% of the consumers said yes. In other words, Realtor generically, consumers don't have necessarily high opinion of Realtors generically. But the Realtor they worked with they have very high regards, which means that you need to assure that you serve your consumers' interests over the long haul, so you will not get that next transaction from the same client next year, but you may get that referral and of course, if you build enough pipeline you know in five years, they may use utilize your service, uh, and if you have a deep enough client base, then you know constantly you have a flow so any realtor who are fly by the night, just trying to get that transaction done, cutting the corners, uh, you, without their referral or repeat business, it's not gonna, gonna cut it. So it's a large number of membership, people are coming into the business, uh, but you need to serve your consumer's interests over their long run. This is a little interesting. So people are applying for mortgages, but we also take consumer survey about just their attitude regarding home buying That's very simple question is it a good time to buy and do you strongly agree with this statement and it's been actually sort of trending down a bit this time last year it was due to higher mortgage rates then you see little recovery as mortgage rate began to decline but this was quite surprising to show that consumer uh, overall uh, question about is it a good time to buy uh, has weakened a bit and part of that reason could be first there's more discussion of recession if there's a word recession then some people may begin to pull back other people may say well home prices have risen so much that now i'm concerned that whether or not home prices are at the top and it could decline so that could be the reason but when we look at the data a little deeper the number one reason as to why people's confidence about buying is a little lower is because they are just saying that there's just not enough inventory even on a television show you get three choices home a B or C which one do you want but in today's tight inventory environment especially at certain price points essentially a home comes on to the market it gets multiple bid and the clients our, uh, I mean realtor tell their clients you have to make a bed otherwise it 's going to be gone, so in other words, tight inventory is washing consumer decisions, and they are feeling very uncomfortable about the whole process. They want to see ten homes before selecting us which one it is so one way to boost people 's confidence about home buying is we need to assure that we have steady flow of inventories, uh, otherwise uh, consumers will be very frustrated to say that here 's one home, make a bed. Consumers are not liking that process. And here's the inventory situation. And generally speaking, there's seasonality, you know, more inventory shows up in the spring, spring buying season, uh, but well, once uh, we reach September, then inventory drops, then it drops even more as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas. And only around early February, you see little uplift in inventory, then by March, April, strong increase in inventory. But also the buyers also come out at that time uh, period. We take survey of realtors, and maybe one or two of you responded to this survey, uh, which is, uh, we just asked the question, how are the buyer traffic? So when you hold an open house, How is the foot traffic or uh, do you get a lot of phone inquiries about uh, wanting to come to the market and based on this what we are finding is that most of the country including kansas and missouri is a strong buyer traffic compared to the year before better condition than the year before the only three states that are showing weakness is connecticut illinois and uh, uh, Alaska. Uh, I think Alaska for past couple of years, they have really not created jobs. Uh, so I think that could be the reason. Uh, Illinois, some people are saying Illinois could go bankrupt. So they're concerned uh, with the Illinois situation. But in Connecticut, uh, it's really the case of the SALT. That's the state and local income tax. Here in Missouri and Kansas, whatever your mortgage interest or property tax is, you can Fully deduct that amount if you wanted to. But in Connecticut, their property taxes of 30000 they used to be able to deduct that, but now they cannot anymore. They can, they're only limited to up to $10,000. And hence, people in Connecticut, like in Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, I hear just anecdotal story someone purchased a home for $5 million a few years ago, they want to sell it but they can only get a bid for $3 million. So consider $5 million going to $3 million. I mean, that's a very, very expensive uh, areas, but it's the expensive areas where they have high property tax, but now they used to be able to fully deduct that, but they will not be able to. And also just another part related to your, just on your marketing brochure, which you may at least be cognizant of, not to necessarily change, but cognizant of, is that you may have the marketing brochure that say, buy a home and get a tax break your consumers will respond to say, I don't need a tax break. And the reason for that is after the tax reform, the standard deduction has been doubled for a married couple from 12,000 to 24,000. So you have mortgage interest, charitable deduction, property tax, and others. And in, in people living in Missouri and Kansas, they don't come up to 24,000, so they said, I- I'm gonna take the easy standard deduction. So therefore, uh, in your marketing brochure to say buy a home and get the mortgage interest deduction, 90% of your clients will say, I don't need it. Only the top 10% will begin to say, yes, that is important to me. Uh, But in Connecticut, it is very, very important. You know, it's almost uh, like one-third of the population uh, who utilize uh, that property tax and mortgage interest deduction. But Kansas, Missouri, in good shape, at least according to the realtors, as related to the buyer traffic, even though inventory is not available. Uh, This chart is wrong, uh, and because it is wrong, uh, uh, I looked at this this morning, and it surprised me that Kansas City could be so much higher than St. Louis. Uh, So I just sort of double-checked the numbers, and I'm finding that, yes, I made a mistake. I'm not sure why I put it there, Uh, but this red is St. Louis. Kansas City is only mildly higher than St. Louis, not this drastic difference. So what this chart shows is that it's a price index, a repeat price index, not medium price. Because median price sometimes can provide information, but sometimes it can distort. For example, if only, only the wealthy people buy a home, then the median price will be very high. If only the first time buyers buy a home, the median price will be very low. Uh, That is not signifying somehow prices decline or increase, it's just who are the buyers. So the median prices can be uh, somewhat confusing in that way. So the price index look at the same property, and once that same property gets sold later, five years from now or seven years from now, they look at the price appreciation, and they look at all the other property of the similar uh, situation to get the the, uh, true, better, more accurate assessment of the price change. And what this chart shows is that uh, prices from 1995, by the way, this is also wrong, it should be from 1995 to today, uh, is that in uh, St. Louis, uh, prices have more than doubled over that time period. In Kansas City, it's a little higher than St. Louis, but only moderately higher, not the the chart that is shown uh, that part. So even through the financial crisis, subprime lending, if people held on to the property, they have come out ahead in terms of the home purchase as their investment return. And the green is the total valuation of real estate in America. So you see the subprime lending crash, then now recovery and hitting all-time high. But note the mortgage, how people are taking out mortgage. is fairly stable, so you have much wider gap between home prices and mortgage outstanding. So homeowners are in much better situation now with sizable equity than before. Every once in a while, you will hear that mortgage borrowing reached an all-time high. Is this an all-time high? And you draw the line, and yes, it is an all-time high. But you can see how misleading that statement is in relation to the bigger context, that whatever it increased, home value appreciation has far outpaced that. So there's a sizable housing equity for homeowners. This is the chart probably the realtors uh, should use with their clients, or at least be uh, very mindful of it in your uh, conversation. Wealth, everything you have minus everything you owe. What is your net worth? On average, renters will say a figure. And here's homeowners, what they are saying. This includes all the wealth, including housing equity, your 401k, your money in the bank, uh, everything. You know, gold, holdings, whatever it could be. But you see the homeowners have a sizable more wealth than renters. Part of the reason could be just a uh, different behavioral patterns. Maybe homeowners are a little more responsible. They care about the long term, so they want to save and more cautious about the money. Or it could be that homeowners automatically build wealth just from the prior chart that I showed you about home prices steadily rise. It has more than doubled over the past 20 years, and this is how the homeowners build wealth. And I also show for different time period, year 2000, 2016, 2018, to show that even through the housing cycle, that homeowners have sizable wealth. So always at least share this factual information. It is the data from the Federal Reserve to say that homeowners build wealth over time compared to renters. Here's an interesting breakout of the wealth by different category. The blue is homeowner versus renter, something I already showed you. But the red, white population versus African Americans. And given the history in the US, with much later opportunity for African Americans to participate in society, there is a gap between the white Americans and uh, African Americans. But here's an interesting chart on the green one. If you are African American homeowner, your wealth is much higher than white population who happens to be renters which is showing that owning provides an opportunity to build wealth over time. The last category is age difference. People who are 75 and over versus people who are millennials, under 35. What does this chart say? It says that younger adults should be very nice to their grandparents, right? <laughs> And in fact, we are finding that more first-time buyers are actually getting help from family members on down payment assistance, something that we have not seen before. Many people, first-time buyers, sometimes they utilize FHA mortgage, other people use 3% down payment, but down payment is a major barrier for uh, first-time home buyers. So there's always some number of people who always take, uh, get some help from family members. But we are beginning to see increasingly more and more cases of family members helping out the younger generation with down payment. So uh, whether it's a reflection of a more difficult start that younger people are facing in today's uh, world with large student debt, uh, but this is the wealth breakdown. However you break it down, is clearly the case that homeowners are doing much better than renters. Home ownership rate among the 75 and over, very, very high. Home ownership rate among under 35, maybe this is just a time difference. You are young, you are not yet yet settled, uh, so it's much lower. Uh, When we talk about our pack, when I speak at a minority uh, dominated majority counties, uh, so I go and many of the audience are either uh, largely Asians or largely uh, African American, uh, they said, well, I appreciate the homebuyer tax credit or I appreciate the additional 20% deduction, but what we most care about is fair housing. We want to make sure NAR is completely focused on fair housing issues. And of course, NAR is uh, completely focused on fair housing issues. But you get a different response as to how they want the RPAC money to be utilized uh, for the political purposes. Now, homeowners are very healthy. They have sizable wealth. And also homeowners are not defaulting anymore. So this is a serious delinquency uh, rate for both Kansas and Missouri. So serious delinquency means people who are late on their payment by more than three months or in foreclosure uh, crisis. Anyone wants to make a guess which one is Missouri and which one is Kansas? (laughs) So it's almost the same. I mean, there's virtually no uh, difference, but just in case you care, Kansas has higher serious delinquency than Missouri. At least currently. You see that in different times, it's a little different uh, period. Because people are not delinquent anymore, the number of foreclosed property or property that requires short sales are also at historically low levels. Some realtors, I remember five years ago, seven years ago, they said my business is in foreclosure and I am doing pretty good. But today you have to change your business model because all the foreclosures and the short sales is just not there uh, in the, today's environment. I mentioned we don't have sufficient inventory. And why is that? Why come we don't have enough inventory? It's because we are just not building enough homes. Red is single family home construction, blue is multifamily. Some of the multifamily may be condominium, but today it is nearly all apartments. So what this shows is that if you just focus on the blue, it looks like we are pretty much back to normal, if you just look at the blue. So apartment construction is back to normal. But it is the single family construction that is greatly lagging behind. And it's not only lagging behind one year, it's accumulatively. For 10 years, it's been under average. So if you don't produce enough homes, while the population is rising, jobs are being created, Kansas City Metro, remember, 200,000 additional jobs in the metro area. So if you don't create enough housing, you will face inventory shortage, just not enough uh, inventory. And here's another uh, indication of housing shortage. You look at the rental vacancy rate, 35-year low. Homeowner vacancy rate, meaning empty houses, also at a 40-year low. So all the indication is showing we are facing a significant housing shortage. Uh, And this is for the Kansas City Metro specifically, not the nationwide. And you can see uh, that compared to what it used to be, how under we are. So it is rising fortunately, but it's still greatly under and it's been under for multiple years. And that is why uh, we have housing shortage. If you are into construction development, this is an opportunity, you build it, because there's an inventory shortage but please be mindful that the strongest demand for housing today is on the mid price or slightly below so if the builders build only a million dollar home or $800,000 home it may sit on the market for a while but if they build a home that is 300,000 400,000 you'll just sell like pancakes because uh, there is an inventory shortage builders build it uh, they can sell it then the builder will, builders will say, if I build a $300,000 home, numbers don't work. After I pay for the land, after I pay for the wages for the construction workers, after I pay for this and that, numbers just don't work. Uh, so it's a very uh, uh, you know, catch-22 situation where the builders, if they build it, it looks like they can sell it. But they are saying that numbers don't work at the moment, uh, at least for some uh, areas. Multifamily, again, apartment. Apartment is back to normal, as you can see. Uh, so, no si- situation in related to apartment. The rents are rising much faster than the overall consumer price inflation. So, blue is how is the rent rising, and there the people are saying rents are rising close to 4% a year. The overall consumer price inflation is uh, around 2%. So, rents are consistently outpacing people's income growth. I know it's not an issue here in the Kansas City area, but it is becoming an issue in San Francisco. It is becoming an issue in New York City. And one presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, has said he wants to impose nationwide rent control because rents are rising too fast. And you talk to any economist and economists will say rent control is probably the worst way to address housing uh, affordability or housing shortage. The way you address it, so you have to build more homes. By having more supply, it keeps the rents down. But if you just impose a rent control, uh, then it's going to deter builders from building apartments, and then it will exacerbate the housing shortage. But you see why the sentiment is out there for rent control. The sentiment for rent control is out there because people are saying the rents are rising much faster than people's wages, much faster than the overall consumer price inflation. Almost done and ready to go to the forecast. So before going to the forecast, it is worth remembering to compare year 2000 to today. Why year 2000? Well, you say it's turn of the century, maybe it's a good year to compare with, but also the reason why year 2000 is a good to compare with is because if you look through the newspaper article in the year 2000, flip through the pages, you'll find that real estate news was very boring. Very boring in a sense that no one was talking about a bubble, foreclosure crisis, or you know, home buyers stretched out. It was a very boring news, and if you think, considered the real estate news was boring in the year 2000, you may begin to say, maybe that was a normal condition. So using year 2000 as a normal reference, let's see how 2019 is doing. How is the housing affordability today? Home prices are higher, but believe it or not, it is more affordable to buy a home today. It's better condition, and the reasoning is mortgage rates are much lower. In fact, it's 3.7%. This was the early part of the year. What about the population in the US? Almost 50 million additional people living in the country. What about the more adult population, 16 and over? Again, almost 40 million additional adult population. What about households? Because you can have four people in a family, or some people may have five people in the family. So you look at household, family members, or people living together, and you are saying we have about 20 million additional households. What about jobs? 20 million more jobs. What about home sales? It's actually down. So you look at this and say better affordability conditions, more jobs, more household formation, yet why is home sales not rising with it? Just means that there's plenty of pent-up demand for housing. We need more inventory. So if we get more inventory, especially through new home construction, your business opportunity will rise. And also I would say that even if there is an economic recession in the U.S., you'll be one of the mildest. I will give into the forecast as to why I don't see a recession, but even if we did have a recession, it would be one of the mildest because we need to build more homes. And when the home builders build, usually we don't have a recession or it tends to be very, very mild. So if we have more inventory, more construction, we can satisfy more home sales. So there's a plenty of business opportunity in the future years and the business environment as a whole. Only thing is you have many competition among your peers. So again, you have to think about what is the best business model, uh, how do you obtain the referrals, uh, repeat clients. And um, this is the affordability uh, index, and I mentioned you know, it's a little lower today compared to recent years, but much higher than the year 2000 because this was 8% interest rate, today we're at 3.7% interest rate. So let's go to the forecast. If we have a trade agreement, I know we already have some tariffs, but this tariffs looks like economy can still absorb some amount. I mean, it's hindering some economic activity, but it can absorb it. So if we don't have a trade war, consumers are confident and business spending could begin to increase, and then we don't have a recession. So assuming no recession, We're going to have continuing job creation. Kansas City follows the national trend, so you will get your job creation. And inflation is really not a a factor in the overall economy. So the housing forecast is uh, the following. Housing shortage. Builders need to build more. Whatever they build, they can pretty much sell it, as long as it is reasonably priced, you know, mid-price points uh, and, and below. And what, so I anticipate maybe the new home sales will rise close to 10% over the next couple of years each year. Existing home sales this year could be about uh, you know, hair better than last year total. But next year, I see better opportunity for growth. And the prices, anyone talking about the bubble, they're gonna miss out on this housing equity gain. When you have a housing shortage, prices rise. Even with increased production, we just don't have uh, sufficient inventory to fully satisfy demand. So home prices will continue to rise. And the mortgage rates, early part of this year was higher. Is much better today. So on average, it's gonna be 4%. Next year, I think it's gonna stay at around 3.8%. So very favorable conditions in the mortgage rates. Uh, so overall condition is that uh, if you are a large brokerage, you will see overall business dollar volume rise. But if you are an individual agent, there's a lot of competition out there. And some of you will do very well. Uh, others will be challenged. And maybe this is a statistic I should share with. 15%, 1-5, 15% of the realtor members across the country make six-figure gross commission income, 100000 or more. That's 15%. But 30% of realtors across the country make less than $20,000 a year in gross commission. So it's a highly entrepreneurial. Some people do very well, you know, other people are very challenged uh, in that process. But the business environment, in my view, is increased business opportunity, no recession, housing shortage, we need to build more. Building more means more inventory, and that will begin to satisfy some of the client uh, demand. So thank you for your patience, and thank you very much.